0: You ever have a dream that troubled you? You couldn't figure it out? You wondered, maybe, in this dream, is this some message that God is trying to tell me something? I've had people ask me that question. Come up to me and say, Mark, I had a dream, a certain dream. You think God was trying to tell me something? You ever had a dream like that where you wondered? Well, in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. And uh, this was an important dream, uh, very important, and especially for the future. And we're going to look at that tonight. So let's look at Daniel chapter 2. We'll be a little shorter tonight because of the Lord's Supper, but we'll, cover, we'll try to cover from verses 1 to 13, Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter uh, 2, the first thing we see is Nebuchadnezzar's anxiety over his dreams in the first 11 verses, ne- Nebuchadnezzar's anxiety over his dreams. Let's read that, verses 1 through 11. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, or he dreamed dreams, And his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call on the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation." The king replied to the Chaldeans, The commandment for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who would declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Well, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has anxiety over his dreams in chapters 2, verses 1 through 11. You'll notice in verse 1, the chronology, first of all, it says, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. When we dealt with this in the overview of Daniel about a month ago, we talked about this, but the Babylonians, the Babylonians in their time had a way of reckoning the calendar as opposed to the Judean calendar. And the way they did it was the year that Nebuchadnezzar, who was king over Babylon at that time, came into power, the first year he came into power, it's called the accession year. It just means he, he took over as king. They didn't count that as the first year of his rule. Babylonians counted the second year of the king's rule as the first year of his rule, and the third year as the second year. So when it says now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, by this time he's in his third, the third year of his reign, technically. And I'm, I'm telling you all this because we, we showed there was no contradiction between this and Jeremiah 25.1 uh, because of the two different kinds of reckonings. But that's, that's just to set the, the historical framework a little bit. But by this time, Daniel and his friends, as we saw in chapter 1, and we covered that the last couple of weeks, had finished their training for the, the service in the king's court in Babylon. Remember, Daniel and his friends were taken from Judea. Babylon captured Jerusalem in 605 B.C., and in three waves, Nebuchadnezzar came in and captured Jerusalem. And uh, he brought Daniel and his friends over in the first wave to Babylon from Judea, about a 900-mile trip. And so they're there. They, they're being trained because they're the best and the brightest of the royal families of, Ju- of Judea. They're being trained to be in the, the, the royal service of the king of, uh, of Babylon. And they finished their training. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. The king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. So you can see that's what happened. Now, some chapters, in uh, most chapters in Daniel are in chronological order. These two are, chapters 1 and 2. Some are not. Some are, are, are reverting back to a time formerly in, in, in history, and we'll see that later on. But... At any rate, this is the setting right here. Now, we notice in verse 1 that Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. It says that he had dreams, plural. And uh, that's not unusual. That's normal. Everybody has dreams, right? But there was something different about this, these dreams, something very special about these dreams that were given to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, these dreams were, were different from anybody else's dreams. Um, and if you'll notice, he had more than one dream. We talk about the one dream in this chapter. But at first it says he had dreams. And it says that he had dreams, according to verse 1, in the second year of his reign. So uh, we don't know. This, this, this is a prolonged period of dreaming for Nebuchadnezzar. And my guess is this is the same dream repeated over and over again. That's what I think happened. And when he had these dreams, uh, he goes on to say later on this is just one dream we're talking about. Now, it's interesting because you think of another guy in the Bible that uh, there was a precedent set for this already by a Pharaoh of Egypt, right? Remember Joseph and Pharaoh and the dream that Pharaoh had the dreams Pharaoh had look over in Genesis 41 I just want to show you something. that's very interesting. There's such a parallel between between these two two accounts Here the children of Israel are in slavery to Egypt right and they have they, they go into the midst of Egypt and, and this Egyptian king and Egypt is known for their polytheism they worship all kinds of gods Everything you can think of is a god in Egypt, right, back in this time. And so <clears throat> we see that um, there's a pattern here that might help us understand how God revealed his will in the Old Testament, at least in one sense. Joseph, we find out in Genesis 40, had interpreted a dream for Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and his baker. And those dreams came true just like Joseph uh, said they would. And so uh, we see in, in chapter 41 that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And somebody says, oh, by the way, I think this guy Joseph can help you. He helped us out earlier. But look at the similarities between this chapter, Genesis 41, and Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and what happened there. First of all, we see that a, a pagan ruler has an important dream from God. I'm talking about a guy who doesn't know God as his, as his Lord, has a, a dream from God. Look at chapter uh, Genesis 41, verse 1. Now, it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had a dream right behold he was standing by the Nile we 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 know about that dream look at verse 25 in the same chapter Joseph interprets his dream and Joseph said to Pharaoh Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do God told Pharaoh what he's about to do look at verse 28 it is as, it is as I have spoken to Pharaoh God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do so in both cases God reveals a dream to a guy who doesn't even know God He reveals it to Pharaoh in Egypt, and he reveals it to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Another another parallel here. Both Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar were troubled by their dreams. Look at Genesis 41, verse 8, the first half of verse 8. It says, Now in the morning, Pharaoh's spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt. He was troubled by the dream. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar also was troubled by his dream, these dreams that came from God. A third parallel is, Both called for their advisors to interpret the dream. Look at Genesis 41.8, beginning again. Pharaoh calls for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. He wants to know what's what's this dream all about. In the same way, Nebuchadnezzar called for all his wise men and magicians to come in and interpret the dream for him. Another parallel. A fourth parallel. Both failed to get an answer from their advisory board or their counselors. It says in verse 8, Genesis 41, Pharaoh told them his dreams, his magicians, his counselors, but there was no one who could interpret the dream to Pharaoh. Both cases, the counselors for the king fail, and they don't know the answer. A fifth parallel, both Joseph and Daniel are hurriedly brought in before the king. Look at verse 14 of chapter 41. Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. When he shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. You had to go into the appearance of Pharaoh in a certain way. You couldn't just run into the king's presence. You had to be shaved in Egypt, and you had to look a certain way, just like Nebuchadnezzar wanted you to have a certain appearance in his court. And we'll find out in, Gen- in uh, Daniel 2 that Daniel was hurriedly brought into Nebuchadnezzar when he found out Daniel could interpret the dream. Another par- parallel. Both Joseph and Daniel give God credit for their dream. Look at Genesis 41:16. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In other words, Joseph is testifying but look, I, I can't interpret dreams. God is the one that knows what's going on with the dreams. He can help you with this, not me. God's using me as an instrument. But I don't know what, what's going on here outside of God. And so Daniel did the same thing. He credited God for the interpretation of the dream. And then lastly, both are rewarded by the king. Uh, now Daniel later on is rewarded. And here, look at Genesis 41, verse 39, concerning Joseph. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, There is no one so discerning and as wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, put the gold necklace around his neck, and he made him ride in the second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Amazing parallel between the two. Isn't it strange that God sometimes in in the Old Testament scriptures revealed his will in a dream to a pagan king who did not know anything about God at all, the God of heaven? It's interesting to me. It would be an interesting study to see how God worked with kings like Pharaoh and the Babylonian kings and the kings of Israel and the Persian kings and some of the kings in the Roman Empire later on because he worked with these guys at different times. Proverbs 21, 1 says what? The heart of the king is in the the hand of the Lord. As rivers of water, he turns it wherever he will, right? So God is is sovereign, we see in the scriptures. Why does God do this, though? Why does God reveal his will to kings like Pharaoh who don't? In fact, Pharaoh, this Pharaoh said, I don't know anything about God at all. I don't want anything to do with God, or one of the Pharaohs said that. And that's the whole attitude of the Pharaohs. Who's God? Who's the Lord? I don't know him. But yet, God is working with these kings anyway. Why did God reveal a dream to Nebuchadnezzar? Why didn't he reveal it to Daniel? Daniel was the man of God, the prophet in Babylon, right? But God chose to reveal his dream to Nebuchadnezzar instead. Why? I think because God wanted Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler, ruler of the known world at that time, to know, I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one that directs the affairs of men. I'm the one that's sovereign. And I'm the one that, that I want you to know that it's me that's doing this. And God was to be glorified through that. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? By the way, ancient Babylonians, uh, kings thought that dreams were very important. They thought they were receiving a message from the gods. In this case, God is giving him a message. So a right understanding of the dream was very critical to the future of Babylon as far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned. Nebuchadnezzar no doubt was afraid that this might be an ominous warning to him, this dream. And so we see that he has a dream. Now let me let me tell you this by way of application. Does this mean that when we have a dream ourselves, we're to analyze our dream and, to, and thereby determine the will of God for us? When we have a dream. Are we able to make a determination of the will of God from that dream? No, we are not. First of all, we're not Nebuchadnezzar or Pharaoh. We were not in recorded scripture. And I could have dreams about anything, man. I could, I could, <laughs> Who knows what I could have a dream? Of crazy stuff. But what what do we have to go by? The completed revelation of God's word, right? We have the word of God, we, we're to go by. And so my advice to you is, you have a dream, you can't determine anything from that dream. That could be a million different things going on in your head at, at that time. Can't You can't make a determination of the will of God based on your feelings, on your circumstances, because someone said something to you, because you got a fortune cookie, or any of that. We base it on the word of God, right? God, knowing God's word is foundational for knowing God's will. How does a believer know the will of God? Know the, word, know the word of God. Get to know the word of God. The more you know the word of God, and, I'll, and we're not talking about how to determine the will of God tonight. I know you guys have been talking about this lately. But we're talking about a, a very foundational principle in determining what the will of God is for the life of a, of a believer. And it is this. Know the word of God. That's foundational. And you'll know the will of God then. Now, there's other things involved, but that's, that's foundational. So we go back to, to Daniel chapter 2. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And look at verse 1. It says that his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. His spirit was troubled. That means he was disturbed. He was literally, He was. his spirit was struck. He was highly agitated. it's really bothered him. This dream that he saw, that he remembered, by the way, it highly agitated him. He, he wondered what, what is going on here with this dream. And it says so much so that his sleep left him. His sleep was finished. He could sleep no more. He woke up. He was uh, he just couldn't sleep anymore. He was anxious and sleepless as a result of this dream. It disturbed him so much. Look at verse 2. The king then gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, Chaldeans, to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. Probably this was at an early hour. The king, the king was disturbed by his dream. He woke up, no doubt, at an early hour. And immediately, it looks like, called his advisory council, his cabinet, to come in and tell him the interpretation of the dream. Not only that, tell him the dream. And by the way, when King Nebuchadnezzar says, jump, if it was 3 o'clock in the morning, I want you guys to come in and explain what happened here to me What was my dream. They came in. Back then, you obeyed what the king said because you could. your life was hanging in the balance if you didn't. That's how the kings of the past dealt with things. And it's interesting. Notice the makeup of the king's cabinet here. Uh, it, it, it talks about the fact that the king has for his advisors magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, Chaldeans, and so on. Now, chapter 1, verse 20 talked about this somewhat, but let's talk about it a little bit more. I want you to know who King Nebuchadnezzar was consulting with to find out what to do next, to, to, what to base his decisions on. First of all, he was dealing with magicians. That same word is used to describe the magicians in Egypt that Moses dealt with. Another parallel to that story, by the way. Same word, same guys. Remember those guys, those magicians in Egypt, how they tried to imitate what God did and they they failed ultimately? Well, these guys were were in ancient Babylon. Ancient uh, Babylonian history tells us that these guys were religious scribes or sacred writers who recorded and preserved the materials used in Babylonian religious activities. These guys would look at the, They would study the stars and the planets and the movements and try to find out To gain some kind of religious wisdom from them by looking at the stars and the planets and determining maybe the gods are telling you something through all this. That's what they did. They would use spells to heal people. They would try to exercise demons. They would study omens and astrology. You know, astrology is not the science. It's the one where you know they try to divine from the heavenly bodies what's happening. And so they were into astrology. And then he says in verse two that the king called in his conjurers. You know what those guys did? Their specialty was communicating with the spirit world. So far we have magicians who are into astrology, and we've got, conj- we've got conjurers who are into communication with the spirit world. Thirdly, he called the sorcerers, another part of his staff. These are guys who practice witchcraft, which by the way, the Old Testament strongly condemns. They practice witchcraft. You see where we're heading with this? This is who Nebuchadnezzar is consulting with. And fourthly, the Chaldeans came in. We're probably here we're a class of priests or astrologers, magicians, soothsayers, or wise men. So you get all these guys who are into magic and so on. They're advising King, King Nebuchadnezzar the, the number one ruler of the world at that time in the 6th century BC. These guys are his advisory board. But there's also something else included in this. These guys were also good at astronomy. Astronomy is the science of the, of, of the stars and the planets and things beyond our atmosphere. That's an actual science. They were so good at astronomy, listen to this. They discovered back in the 500 B.C. that a guy named Nabu Romanu, Ram, Nabu, by the way, the first part of that word is from the Babylonian god of wisdom, a guy by the name of Nabu Romanu calculated the length of a year back in the 500 B.C. at 365 days, 6 hours, 15 minutes, 41 seconds, which they say was only 26 minutes and 55 seconds too long. Not bad. They are pretty good astronomers. They were also very good astrologers and magicians and so on and so forth. So these guys, I want you to know that this is what Nebuchadnezzar dealt with. Good at astronomy, better at astrology and magic. These guys are relying upon people like this. This is what Daniel would work with, these kind of guys. These would be the guys that Daniel and his friends who knew God, the God of Israel would come in and work with. Guys that were totally the opposite of their philosophy of life. And that's what they're going to deal with. And you say to yourself, you know, my workplace, or uh, where I hang out, I've got people that, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't understand God, and I don't like the way they do things, and all that. But understand, this is the world we live in, and that you're to be what a light, right? Jesus said, "You're the light of the world." So be the light. Understand that's how that's how it is in the world. That's how it is. Understand, Daniel and his friends were only four guys that we know of who were being a light for God in Babylon, right? There may have been others, that's all we know about at this time. So, these were the men who were advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> this is what you got to deal with. Look at verse 3, Nebuchadnezzar expresses his anxiety about his dream. He says, the king said to them, to his advisors, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. He's very anxious to know what this dream means. In verse 4, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. That's a turning point right here. O king live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and so we will declare the interpretation. Now understand Aramaic back in that day was a language that was beginning to be spoken throughout the whole world. And it was a, it was a language of commerce and business and diplomacy, and in the court people spoke Aramaic. But also understand this there's a there's a significant change taking place in the in the text of the Bible right here. Until this time, what's the Old Testament written in originally? Hebrew, right? Until this time in Daniel, the the, the underlying text behind our English is Hebrew, from which the English was translated. But now in chapter 2, verse 4, the text switches from Hebrew to Aramaic, a different language. And it goes that way all the way from chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 7, verse 28. I'm telling you this so you'll know what's going on with the text. Um, And so you have this change in the language, which, by the way, Hebrew and Aramaic are very similar, same alphabet, as a matter of fact but they're also different in ways. But just so you'll know, uh, the text switches right here. And so this is a, a key change that's taking place in the text itself. By the way, uh, also uh, you'll find Aramaic in parts of Ezra, one verse in, Je- in Jeremiah, and I think one phrase or word in Genesis 31. So you have that going on. But look what happens in verse, in verse 4. Uh, the, the, uh, the Chaldeans come up to the king and they say, O king, live forever. That's the customary greeting for a Babylonian king. That's how they would greet the king because, you know, the king wanted them to be positive and wish, wish him well. And, you know, he wanted, the king doesn't want guys coming and saying, hey, I hope you have a crummy day, you know. They wanted guys, he wanted guys that were good and, and public and the court and uh, had a good appeal. We looked at that in chapter 1 already. And so in, chat, in verse 4, it says, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants. We will declare the interpretation. Look, tell us what the dream is We'll declare it. We'll we'll tell you what the interpretation is. Verse 5, the king replied to the Chaldeans, the command for me is firm. In other words, he's saying, look, I told you guys. I want you to know one thing. What I'm telling you is sure, it's certain, it's definite. I'm serious when I say you you better have an answer for me. Don't play around with me. I want a definite answer about what the interpretation is and what the dream is. Let me ask you a question. Did Nebuchadnezzar forget his dream? I used to think that he forgot his dream, but the more I looked at this text the, more text, the more I realized he didn't forget it, or at least he remembered. If he didn't remember all of it, or he remembered some of it enough to get these guys, because the text indicates he didn't forget it, he did not forget it. It never says, first of all, that he forgot the dream. And then secondly, the Chaldeans are, throughout this text, they keep saying, look, King, tell us what the dream is and we'll tell you an in interpretation. Please tell us what it is. Those guys all believed he knew what the dream was. Thirdly. The king wants to understand the dream. He doesn't want to remember the dream. He remembers it. He just wants to understand what it's all about. And then fourthly, in verse 9, is kind of the kind of the uh, the thing that gets you. Look at verse 9. The king says, If you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation has changed. Therefore tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The king's saying, Look. You tell me the dream, and then I'll know whether you're going to interpret it right or not. The king knew what the dream was. And that's why he's, he's putting them on the line here. It's interesting that that, uh, and he, this may tell us something about chapter 1, verse 20. By the way, look at chapter 1, verse 20. I think that I think that the king here is testing his advisors. He's not going to tell, he's not going to tell them a dream. Why? Isn't it interesting in chapter 1, verse 20, that it says about that King Nebuchadnezzar says about uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah that as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Wait a minute. He's had these experienced advisors during his reign, which is only a few years at this time. Nevertheless, he's had these experienced advisors, and he's saying that Daniel and his friends who just came in who were only 15 years old to 18 years old, three years of training, are better than these other guys? Why? I'm not so sure one of the reasons is he looked at their character and said, man, these guys are for real. These guys are genuine. They tell me the truth. They're honest. I can depend upon these guys. They're being honest with me. I don't think he trusted his advisors, quite honestly. And you see that throughout this whole thing. He doesn't seem to trust them at all because he knows these guys are good at what they do and they could tell him anything for an interpretation. As long as they gave him an interpretation, he wouldn't know if it was good or bad. So he's saying, tell me the dream first, and then I'll know you guys are for real with the interpretation. What's the penalty? you got to love this. Verse 5, King Nebuchadnezzar at his finest hour, the king replied to the Chaldeans, the command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream, it's interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be, will be made a rubbish heap. This is a typical ancient Near East king. This is how they, this is how they were. And he's saying, "Look, you guys, here's my penalty if you don't tell me what the dream is. Basically, I'm going to tell you from limb to limb, dismemberment. And there was a way they went about that, which I'm not going to tell you. And they, uh, he said, furthermore, I'll make your houses a rubbish heap. In other words, I'll make them like a, I'll destroy your houses and make a, make them a garbage dump. And do you know that in archaeology they've discovered back then they've discovered temples and, and houses that were made into toilets." later on and the kings of that time would do stuff like this and so this is a severe penalty showing you how the kings of that day could act and how nebuchadnezzar could act and, and would act if he needed to so severe penalty but let's no, no man say that nebuchadnezzar was not a fair king look at verse 6 if you declare the dream and its interpretation you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor therefore declare to me the dream and its interpretation on the other hand He said, look, if you guys interpret the dream and tell me the dream, I'm going to be good to you, I'm going to reward you for that. So the the guys were hoping for, you know, the latter, not the former on this one. If you don't reveal it to me, you're in trouble, and I'm going to punish you severely. Well, in verse 7, they answer again. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. They ask again, please, look. Give us give us the dream we'll, we'll tell you what the interpretation is verse 8 just to show you that the king doesn't trust these guys the king replied I know for certain that you are bargaining for time you're trying to buy time you're trying to gain time you're trying to stall for time I know it I know how you guys are I've seen you in action for the last few years <laughs> and I knew and I know that Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't trust these guys at all and as much as you have seen that the command for me is firm you know that you're going to be penalized severely, even killed, and I don't trust you guys. In verse 9, Nebuchadnezzar says, If you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. The decree is, is judgment, it's death, the death penalty for you, if you, don't, if you don't give me the answer I'm looking for. He goes on to say, You have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. He says, you guys are teaming up. You're teaming up against me to try to lie, and you're agreeing together to lie against me. I know what you're doing. He knew how they were. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was not a stupid guy. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar, right? And in history, we find that Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant man, brilliant military strategist, and archeo- an yeah, archaeologist. <laughs> he was an uh, architect who designed Babylon. Remember that had the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens? He designed that. He was a brilliant man. And so Nebuchadnezzar was not somebody to toy with and understood what these guys were up to. But you get the impression that he didn't trust these guys at all. But you get the impression also that he does trust Daniel and his friends, as time will reveal here, and as, as, as the scriptures will say to us later on. He says, I'm willing to kill all of you guys if, if that's what it takes. Why would he... Why would Nebuchadnezzar be willing to kill his entire staff? Why would he be willing to do that? His entire staff that would advise him on important matters for the kingdom. He ruled the world. Why would he want to kill them all? Probably because he thought that someone may try to assassinate him. Because there was all kinds of court intrigue going on at this time in the ancient world. Kings would be deposed, would be assassinated by guys. Guys were always plotting and planning to kill kings. The next two out of the three kings of Babylon were assassinated. By the way, following Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar wasn't dumb. He knew what was going on. So in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, "There is not a man on earth who, who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean." Look. This is impossible, King Nebuchadnezzar, what you're asking. It's an unreasonable request. Why in the world would you ask this? Come on. This has never been done before. They're saying, King, you're being unreasonable. In verse 11, Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who can declare it to the king except gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. This is just a candid admission of their inability to determine the will of the gods, right? These guys were supposed to be able to determine the will of the gods of Babylon. This is what their job was. They studied this stuff. They trained for this. They were tried to be, they were supposed to be experts at this. And yet they weren't able to pull this off because they were unable. And it tells you what? It, t- it tells you that to be involved in a false religious system is absolutely futile and worthless. You can be involved in religious systems until the cows come home. This or that religion. And it's not about religion, is it? It's not about that. And you can you can be in a a system that's totally futile. It's about knowing the truth. Knowing God, right? Knowing his word, knowing his son Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And so we see that Nebuchadnezzar was anxious over his dreams. Last two verses we'll cover today. Nebuchadnezzar is commanded to destroy the wise men in verses twelve and thirteen. Verse twelve, he says, Because of this thing, because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Well, he didn't get. He he decides to enforce. He's going to enforce the death penalty now. Not just talk about it. He's going to enforce it now. Why? He didn't get an answer, did he? He didn't get an answer from anybody about his dream. Furthermore, if the wise men were wrong uh, here, didn't know no answer here. They were. They may have been wrong in previous advice they gave to the king. Or what about the future advice they would give to the king? He couldn't trust them. And. They also said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're unreasonable. That was the last straw. You don't tell a king Nebuchadnezzar he's unreasonable. Pretty much you do what he says. And so what happens? He's indignant. He's very furious. That means he's got intense anger. He's extremely mad, extremely upset. And so he sends out the death penalty. Verse 13, so the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Daniel and his friends weren't even there. They weren't giving anybody advice at all, but they're part of the cabinet now, right? I don't know if they were in some kind of a, a, a period of apprenticeship or what's going on. They weren't part of this, the guys giving the answer right up front. Let me just close with this. Just because God has put you in a certain place to serve him and to carry out accomplish a purpose doesn't mean you're going to have it easy, does it? You can expect difficulty wherever you're at serving God. You can expect. Expect it to be difficult. Expect to have problems. And you remember Joseph who was thrown in prison. Expect that to happen. Well, next week, we'll see what happens to Daniel and his three friends. But I forbid you to read the rest of this chapter. (laughs) Don't look ahead.